So we're concluding our series, Spiritual Affluence, The Abundance of Opportunities of Our Spiritual Lives. Now, if you remember, the first three chapters of Ephesians is about doctrine, and the last three chapters is about application. So today, what we're going to do is we're going to close off our study in Ephesians with Paul reminding us, in order to live out what we believe, it's going to actually be a war, a spiritual war, a spiritual battle. But when we stay strong in the Lord, we're on the winning team. And the Lord has made available to us everything we need to take battle in that spiritual war. So what Paul does is he starts off in Ephesians 6.10. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. The only way that we can live the Christian life is to rely on the strength of the Lord. We can't do it in our own strength. There's no way possible that we can do this in our own strength. Now, we learned all these things through the 11 weeks, the, the previous 11 weeks through this book. And Paul is basically telling us, OK, now here's what's going to happen. You be strong in the Lord and I'm going to teach you the actions that will help you draw on that strength and what we are up against in this world. So the first thing he says is this. In Ephesians 6, uh, verse 11, he says, Put on the whole armor of God. Put on the whole armor of God. So in a few verses, Paul is going to go into detail on this whole armor of God and how it will help us be strong in the Lord. But before that, what he does is he explains why we need that armor and that is because we have an enemy that's constantly waging war against us. Because we're believers in Christ, our enemy is actually the devil and his demons. So he goes on and talks about this. He says that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So now what we're going to do is this. We are dealing with our enemy. Paul gives us the information, all the information we need to know about our enemy. So I'm going to do something that you probably did in school. It's like a journalistic type thing. It's the who, what, when, where, and why. So Paul covers all that about our enemy, what he does, who, what, when, where, and why. So let's start off. So the enemy is this. Who is the enemy? The devil and his demons, the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers, the spiritual forces of evil. The scriptures tell us that Satan is actually the God of this world. That does not mean he controls the world, but that means what happens is he's loose now and he's able to have these schemes and do these things to wage war against each one of us. So that's the who. The what is the battle. The battle is basically the spiritual war that we're in. And he says, stand against and wrestle with. So that's the what. Then we come to the when. When is this happening? Well, the truth is, it's happening all the time. Remember, he said, in this present darkness. So in this world that we live in, while we're here on this earth, we will be engaging in this battle all the time. Sometimes it will be a heated battle and sometimes it will be kind of quiet, but we're engaging in this all the time. 
Then you have to ask this, where? Where is this happening? Well, he answers that in the heavenly places. Now, what does that mean, the heavenly places? Because as soon as we say heavenly, we think heaven. But basically, it's the spiritual world, the unseen. Now, there's many people that get tripped up at this point because they doubt the fact that the spiritual world actually exists. But the truth is, the spiritual world is real, and there's a battle going on right now in that spiritual world. And then it comes down to the why. They hate God and us. Satan and his demons, they hate God and they hate us. And their schemes are in order to thwart the plans and the purposes of God so that those things are not accomplished. The main purpose of God is that all hear the good news about Jesus, the gospel message. So Satan and his demons want to thwart those purposes. They hate God. They hate believers. Remember, believers cannot be possessed or taken over by demons, but we can be and we are oppressed and attacked by them, especially, especially when we seek to do the work of the Lord. You know, one of the best books that helps you kind of under, understand this, this spiritual warfare issue in like a, a simpler way is a book written by C.S. Lewis called Screwtape Letters. I would recommend that to anyone because it kind of deals with the simple everyday ways that spiritual warfare is happening that you and I might e not even realize is going on. So now that we all know this, Paul is going to teach us the how. We, how do we stay strong and stand against the schemes of the devil? Because basically we're going to be dealing with this our entire lives. So the devil and the demons will constantly try in different ways to attack us, to bring us down so we can't live for the Lord, so we can't serve him. Because that's the only attack he really has on the believer. We are owned by God, so he can't come in and take control. He can't come in and take God away from us or take us away from God. But he can try to make it so that we have a difficult time serving God. We have a difficult time pleasing him and living for him. So the scriptures teach us that he will do these things to us. And basically what's going to happen is he's going to use the world the culture around us, the things of this world, and the desires of our flesh to entice us to sin. And when we sin, we're actually using that time to do things that offend God, that are against God, that are actually not productive, and we're not doing things that actually are pleasing to God and are productive for his kingdom. Now, the best example we have of these temptations is found actually in Matthew chapter 4, when Satan actually tempted Jesus. He did so when Jesus was weak in his humanity. So remember, Jesus added humanity to himself. And when he came to this world, it says we don't have a high priest that doesn't understand what we're going through, but we have Jesus who understands. He knows what it's like to be human. Now, most theologians agree that there's three areas in which Jesus was tempted in Matthew chapter 4. And those three main areas are the same areas that we will be tempted in, in different types of ways, but we'll be, in the, we'll be tempted in those three areas. And the first is this, the lust of the flesh. 
Now, Jesus had been fasting for 40 days. And here's what happened. Satan tried to get him to use his power to create bread out of the stones. He said, Jesus, do this. You're hungry. Create bread out of these stones. Don't you have the power to meet your fleshly needs? Now, Jesus rebuked Satan and he said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. This was actually scripture in Deuteronomy 8.3. So Jesus rebuked this fleshly desire that he had. He was hungry. He was weak and hungry because he had been fasting. And Satan was trying to entice him to actually use his power in that way, which would have been displeasing to the father. The second way area of temptation is the pride of life. Now, Satan brought Jesus up to the top of the temple and said, throw yourself down for it is written, he will give his angels charge over you. See, at this point, Satan was basically saying to Jesus, oh, so you're going to use scripture to combat me? Well, let's see how that works out for you. Didn't your father say that this scripture is true as well. He will give his angels charge over you. If there's a master plan and the father has obviously planned that out, even if you were to jump, wouldn't the father step in and save you? Or in fact, aren't you in charge anyway? Aren't you part of the Holy Trinity? Aren't you in charge anyway? So then what Jesus does is this. He again sticks with the scriptures and he answers Satan, in Deuteronomy 6, 18, or 6, 16, he quotes and he says, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So the question is, could Jesus have jumped and been fine? Well, sure, but he was not going to use his power in this way because he knew he was being tempted by Satan, this pride of life, to show everybody, okay, yeah, I'm in charge and I can do whatever I want. But Jesus didn't do that. The final temptation Jesus had was the lust of the eyes. Now, at this point, Satan is known as the God of this world, and he's trying to tempt Jesus by saying, look at all the kingdoms of the world. I can give all of this to you, and you can bypass the plan of the Father. You can bypass the whole crucifixion, the ugliness of the cross, the suffering. You can bypass all of this. And I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. But see, if Jesus would have given into that temptation, Jesus would have been actually bowing to Satan. So again, Jesus quotes scripture. Deuteronomy 6.13, it says, It is written, or it, excuse me, It is the Lord your God you shall fear. fear. You shall serve him. Jesus was saying, I'm not going to bow to you. I'm not going to listen to your temptation. So now these three categories, lust of the flesh, pride of life, lust of the eyes, are temptations which we're going to face all the time. So the lust of the flesh are fleshly desires that tempt us to sin. How I feel. You know what? Maybe sometimes I'm angry. I'm going to go take revenge on that person. Or we feel I'm depressed, so I'm going to go get drunk or get high, abuse substances. Or... What we want to do, that feels good, so I'm going to go do that. So we're enticed by the things of the flesh. The next is the pride of life. You know, the pride of life you know, really strikes us a lot. Like, I can handle this. I don't need help. 
I'm smarter. I'm better. I'm more capable. I don't need to rely on God. I can rely on myself. I can find the power within, the power of positive thinking, whatever the way you want to package it. It's, it's a pride issue. And then the final is the lust of the eyes. I want that. I want that money. I want that possession. I want that power. And I will do what I can get, do to get that, even if it is something sinful. You see, we all deal with these temptations in everyday life. But now we have an added layer that we didn't even realize, or some of us didn't even realize was going on. Satan and his demons are warring against us using those things, using those desires and the way that we see things and the, the flesh. He's using that to tempt us and get us to do things that are displeasing to God. Satan and his demons are warring against us in hopes that we actually lose these battles. And when we lose, here's what happens. We offend God. It hinders our service to him. We damage our lives. Many of you realize this. Some sinful decisions that you made, even though you are forgiven, have created a lot of damage to your life. And it also sends us into spiritual distress, which robs us of the spiritual affluence we have in Jesus that we talked about throughout this whole entire series. So now what Paul does in verses 13 through 19, he teaches us how we could win in those spiritual battles. He teaches us how to win those spiritual battles. So we're going to look first how to win in the spiritual battles. Picks up in verse 13. He says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Now, remember, Paul was in jail when he wrote this. He was most likely chained either near or actually to a Roman guard. So basically, he's probably looking at this Roman guard and he seizes armor and he uses that armor as an object lesson, as a reminder for himself and an object lesson for us because they all knew what a Roman guard looked like. They all knew what the armor looked like. So he used this as a constant reminder. Remember, this is a battle. Okay, we're not playing games here. This is a spiritual battle. You need to put on the whole armor of God. So here's what he does. He explains the armor. First, he says this. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. Now, the belt actually holds the armor together. And that is what truth does for our faith. That is what the truth does for our faith. Now, the fact that there is an attack on truth in our culture should not be a surprise to us. This is Satan's plan, because if there is no truth or everyone has their own truth, guess what happens? There's confusion. And that's what happens now. You see this in our culture. There's a lot of confusions. What is true? But there is truth. And the fact is, Jesus calls himself the truth. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through Jesus. Remember, Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for our sins. Jesus rose from the grave to prove that he is God. And Jesus offers salvation to all 
who believe that they are sinners and Jesus is their savior and paid the price for their sins. That is the truth. The truth of the gospel, the truth is that we need to get that message out because other people need to know that truth. But the truth continues on. Now, the truth is that God loves you more than you can ever imagine. The truth is that God is good. The truth is that he has a plan for your life. The truth is he will never leave you. And the truth is no matter what happens, those things don't change. That's the truth. So many times what we do is we base what we think is truth on our experiences. And that's exactly when Satan starts to attack. That's when he starts to kind of whisper those things. They want us to believe untruths about God. So maybe the narrative kind of goes like this. Oh, God says he's good. Well, why would something like this happen? You have a bad experience and, you know, God says he's good. Why would something like this happen? God says he loves you. Why would he let someone you love go through this? If he loves you so much, why would he let you suffer like this? God has a plan for you. Well, what kind of plan allows for something terrible like this to happen? And you see how believing untruths about God will actually start to make your faith waver. So the list, list, uh, excuse me, the list of doubts and deception can go on and on and pull you away from the truth. So what Paul says is he says, hey, you know what? You have to put on the belt of truth daily as a reminder that no matter what happens, what God tells us in his word about himself is truth. And that will always be, and that will never change. Now, next we have, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now in Jesus, we're declared, we're declared righteous because of his payment for our sin. When God the Father looks at us, he sees righteousness. I've talked about this so many times. We gave Jesus our sinfulness. He took our sinfulness on the cross and gave us his righteousness. So Satan and his demons will try to convince us otherwise, especially when we sin. So there's two ways that we need to combat that. The first way is we pursue righteousness so that Satan does not have the opportunity to accuse us. The scriptures tell us that he's the accuser of the brethren. He's the accuser of the Christians. So it's almost like he goes to God and says, oh, look at your follower, what they're doing. So the first way we combat that is actually pursue a righteous life. We'll never be 100% successful. So there's going to be a second way. When we're unsuccessful and we do the wrong thing, we confess our sin and we grab hold of the fact that we're actually forgiven. If you are in a place right now as a believer living in guilt and shame of your sin, thinking, how could God ever forgive me? Or God is so displeased with me, he might just cast me off. Well, Satan and his demons have you right where they want you. A believer feeling worthless and useless is something that Satan and his demons want. Because guess what? When you feel worthless and useless, that's how you'll act. Worthless and useless. 
So what he's saying is grab hold and put on this righteousness of Jesus every day of your life, that breastplate of righteousness. No, I am righteous in the Father's eyes because of Christ. I'm going to try to pursue righteousness. And when I fail, I'm going to confess that I was unrighteous. And I'm going to accept his forgiveness and realize that I can move on. And what my sin was does not define me. And I'm not worthless. I'm not useless. But I'm a child of the king who loves me. Next, we have the shoes. As shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. We can all agree that having the right footwear is important for different things in life. If you ever have taken a hike or played a sport or did hard labor and you have the wrong footwear on, you know how important it is to have the right footwear on. Now, the believer's footwear should be readiness to tell others about Jesus. You know, you have all noticed that each week at church, you hear the gospel message that Jesus died and rose and all who believe will have eternal life. It's a free gift of eternal life. You hear that every single week. And the first reason, there's a couple of reasons, though. You hear that. And no matter what topic we're talking about, you'll hear the gospel message. The first reason why is because any given week, someone can come to our church, tune into our church and hear a message. And we never want to waste the opportunity because they might not know Jesus. So we can't just give them a message from the Bible without pointing them to Jesus, who will actually help them live out the things that they learn from the Bible. But the second reason why is it teaches all of you that no matter what scripture we're in, no matter what topic we're in, no matter what conversation you're having, there's always a way that the gospel can fit in. And we need to be ready to do that in the, our daily conversations. That was, that's what the Apostle Paul is saying here. Having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. So you're ready. When these conversations come up, you're talking to somebody at work, at school, at home, wherever it might be. You're ready to share the good news about who Jesus is. The next is in all circumstances, take up a shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Now, faith is a defensive weapon. Faith is a defensive weapon. This is not saving faith, but this is having faith in the promises of God, which extinguish the arrows of doubt coming our way from Satan and his demons. That's the way they try to win battles against believers. They try to challenge our faith. The best they can do to a believer is try to make them ineffective in their faith. This is why we don't allow our experiences to dictate our faith. We let the promises of God dictate our faith. Let me say that again. We don't let our experiences dictate our faith. We let the promises of God dictate our faith. Now, next, we have two more and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, the helmet of salvation helmets obviously protect our head, protects our minds. Remember, part of living the Christian life is the renewal of our minds, like Paul says in Romans chapter 12. He's saying we need to renew our mind. 
If our minds are taken captive by what our culture says rather than what God says, Satan starts to win on that front. When you start to believe the lies of the culture or believe the confusion of the culture, here's what happens. Satan starts to win. So that rolls us into this, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. This is our offensive weapon and what Jesus used against Satan when he was being tempted and what we as believers need to study and be prepared with so that we're not drawn away, so that we're not deceived. And Paul talks about this to Timothy, remember? So that we're not pulled away. But the interesting thing about the sword, the word of God being compared to a sword, is found in Hebrews 4.12, and it says this, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of the spirit of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. You know what? The Word of God is a double-edged sword. It's something that we love, right, that's useful for us, but it's something that can also cut us and convict us. That's when we're going down a sinful road and we hear a passage or we hear a message or we hear a devotional and it cuts us, it convicts us, it makes us realize I'm going the wrong way. So the word of God is something that we love and something that's useful for us, but something that can deeply convict us. And some would say harm us because it makes us feel that way, that conviction. But the truth is, it's helpful for us. It's helpful for us, and it helps us to continue on in our Christian life because when we follow after the word, we know we're following after truth. And when we follow after truth, we know that God is pleased. We're not basing it on our experiences. We're basing it on what his word teaches us. So the believer really needs to study the believer really needs to memorize scripture, do devotions, spend time in the word so that when all the fiery arrows of Satan and his demons come in, when all the experiences challenge our faith, when all these things try to make us doubt, we know that God has spoken in his word. You know, God speaks to us in his word, but he also wants us to speak to him. So he goes on this passage, he says, praying, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. You know what he's saying here? He's saying, hey, listen, listen, pray for yourself that you persevere, pray for one another that we persevere. Prayer is so unbelievably important. Then Paul does this. He asks for prayer. He says, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. You know, this makes us realize that none of us can say, I am good, I am strong, I got this, 
Don't waste your time praying for me. Other people need prayer. Don't waste your time praying for me. Do you know what? That's just pride. We can take it from the Apostle Paul here, can't we? Okay, he's saying, hey, listen, guys, you know what? Pray that I say the right things. Pray that I do the right things. Pray that I'm an ambassador for the gospel message. Pray that I don't waste this opportunity. Pray that Satan doesn't get a foothold in my life to make me waste this opportunity and discourage me and cause me to doubt. Paul reminds them, you know what? I need this stuff too. So never in pride say, oh, don't worry about praying for me. I got it. I'm good. I'm strong. Don't be prideful. Then Paul reminds them how in battle, communication is important between believers. So we know how to pray for and be encouraged by one another. He says this. He says, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and the faithful minister in the Lord will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. So he's saying, hey, listen, you know, I sent my friend here, our beloved brother. I sent him. So you kind of know what's going on. So you know how you can pray for us. You know, we get letters every month, emails every month from all the missionaries that we support. You know, when we do announcements, we'll tell you what's going on in the church, what, what, what you can pray for through the prayer chain. All these things, this is important, having that communication, knowing how we can pray for one another, knowing how we can meet each other's needs, knowing how we can pray those prayers of truth, staving off Satan and his demons and their fiery arrows that are meant to harm us and to harm our church and to harm our people. And then Paul closes this letter closes final verses after 12 weeks of studying through this. Paul closes with the, this final verse. He says, peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God, the father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful. We're thankful for this great book of Ephesians that we got to study it for 12 weeks, even though that many of those weeks were very different, whether it be online, outside, inside, all these different things. We know that all these things came in to try to get us off focus. But we're thankful to say that you used your word through all these weeks to keep our focus to keep us winning those battles that Satan wants us so badly to lose, to continue to reach out to this community. Lord, I pray for our light show that's outside, that each night it's reaching people for the gospel message, for our Christmas Eve services that will be coming in, in this coming week, that it reaches out to people because we know, Lord, that they need to know the truth. And we know that you've given us the truth so that we can be ambassadors of the truth in our community. And we're thankful for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.